Chris Miles was able to retire twice by the time he was 39 years old. But he's not content to just enjoy his own financial freedom and peace of mind. Chris wants you to have your own ripple effect so you can live free today. He's not the financial advisor you expected. He's the anti-financial advisor you deserve. He's jumping behind the mic right now, ready to make waves. Here's Chris Miles. Hello, my fellow Ripplers. This is Chris Miles, your cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor. One of show that's for you, those that work so hard for your money and you're ready for your money, start working harder for you right now. You want that freedom and cash flow today, not 30 or 40 years from now, but right now so you can live that life that you love with those that you love. But guys, it's not just about getting rich, it's about living a rich life because as you're blessed financially, you have a greater capacity to bless the lives of others. Guys, that's what we're here to do today. Thank you so much for tuning in. You guys, it's been amazing to see how much you've been binging, you've been sharing this with others, you've been sharing on social media. Thank you so much for doing so. We really appreciate all the efforts you guys do to help our ripple effect continue through you guys as well. As a reminder, if you haven't done so already, go to our website, moneyripples.com. Take the passive income calculator now where you can find out how much passive income you could create in the next 12 months. Check that out. Your number is. Love to see it because if it's over 15, 20,000, we need to talk because there's something we can actually do to help bless your lives. So check that out today. All right, guys. So I brought on a special guest today that I had met at another conference recently, a conference full of dentists and orthodontists. And he's talking about things like precious metals, gold, silver, and metals in general. It was really fascinating to see how this can work in an overall plan. So I really want to bring David on today. Now, David, just so you know, he's the CEO of McIlvaney Financial Group. They also have done a lot with McIlvaney Precious Metals, which is 50-year-old metals brokerage. So definitely got a wealth of experience here. He's got McIlvaney Wealth Management and Vaulted, which is an online platform for investing in allocated and deliverable gold. He's also an author of Intentional Legacy and a featured speaker of major media outlets. In fact, some he's doing today, like CNBC, he's commenting on some of the banking industry and things like that going on. We might ask him about that as well. And also just talking about, in general, global events, economy, and financial markets. He also has weekly commentary with world leaders, bankers, economists, and investors. David, welcome to our show today. Thank you, Chris. Great to be with you. Good to see you. So give us more of your background, because I, I know when I talked to you, I said, how in the heck do you have 50 years of experience? I know you're born into this, but you have an interesting right. story, even with your childhood. Tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, this is a second generation business. So we focus on metals brokerage. My parents were instrumental in getting gold legalized going back to the 1970s. It had been illegal from 1933 through January 1st, 1975. We found a religious exemption where you could sell gold if they had some sort of a theme and so we were making one and two ounce gold medallions, bullion medallions, and we're able to get into the business about three years before anyone else in the bullion business here in the US. So been an industry leader for five decades. The asset management company came from a love of mine. I had spent enough time in the world of financial advising to realize that it was a broken system. Managing a little pie, I love your anti-FA financial advisory comment at the beginning, but managing a pie and then delegating the responsibility to other people to do something or to do nothing, I don't think is a recipe for great success. What we do on the asset management side is a focus on hard assets. So in complement to our metals business, the asset management focuses on publicly traded companies that are in specialty real estate infrastructure, global natural resources, and precious metals mining. So a very small niche within the world of investable companies. But in a period of this, with inflation and money printing galore, even this week with the bank bailouts, I think that the case can be made for creating a defensive posture, if you will, 
even in your growth assets. Yeah. I remember hearing a story. What were you, six years old, seven years old? You're asking about inflation, things like that. Yeah. I grew up in a crazy family, interested in things that for most families might be boring, but public policy and inflation and financial markets and volatility and perhaps your interest in cash flow. But these are things that we would talk about around the dinner table. At six years old, I gave my first speech on inflation, standing on our coffee table in our living room. <laughs> yes, in a three-piece suit, but comfortable with the content. After traveling the world with my dad, I started traveling with him when I was three. And I'll start young. In our generation, the next generation, we've done the same thing. Our kids travel with us all over the world to meet with clients and to present on various media outlets. Yeah, it started early. That's fascinating. Tell us your take on inflation going on right now. What's your feelings on it? Yeah, inflation has always been and will continue to be one of those lumpy things where it's really big and then it eases off a little bit and then it comes raging back and then it eases back again. So when you see the policy responses to inflation, they're also a little bit like putting on a foot on the gas pedal and then on the brake and then on the gas pedal and then on the brake. And that was the case even with Volcker. When he was killing inflation with higher rates, there was a point in time where he lowered rates before his final jacking of rates to double digits, but he lowered them and inflation came roaring back and he had to raise them yet again to very high levels. Those are the days when mortgage rates were 18, 19%. And you can imagine what that does to real estate values. And I think that's one of the challenges that you have when you balance what you do in the world of real estate and passive income investing is being aware of how much risk you have in the equation, how much debt you have in the equation, and how many sort of reserve assets you have in that picture with you. One of the reasons why I like gold along with real estate particularly unlevered or lowly levered real estate. It is this cash alternative, which works under any circumstance. If you know the history of gold, you really just know the history of money. Gold has been currency for 5,000 years. And it's only since the 1970s that we think of it strictly as a commodity and don't give it its currency role. We've got something better, which is the Federal Reserve note. Better if you say so. It's the last 96, 97% of its value since it was created, originally issued in 1913. Scoring, if you will, on in terms of the job that they do, maintaining purchasing power is pretty poor. Gold, on the other hand, is just really basic. It's a better form of currency. And so if you're looking at real estate deals, if you find that you're just not happy and engaging with the market during a certain period of time, maybe you don't want all of your money in the bank. Maybe this weekend in particular, you didn't want all of your money in the bank. But this is a better store of value through time. We have an inflation target now of two, soon to be 3%. So they're intentionally chipping away at the value of your dollar by that amount. And gold is just, again, it's basic money. It allows you to engage in the financial markets when you want to without being subjected to the nicks and scrapes from the central bank monetary policy, whether it's our central bank or any others. So that's, I think, to see gold as a reserve asset in complement to what you do with real estate is, I think, really to understand the role that it's, it plays. It's meant to be spent at some point. You know, Developing a cash hoard, you'd like to see it put to work, but it needs to be done on the basis of compelling value. So you have cash, or in my case, gold ounces. Vaulted is the program that we launched to, to basically substitute for cash in the bank. Very inexpensive way to own ounces. We partnered with the Royal Canadian Mint, and the app is the best you can find in terms of 21st century technology, and enabling that deposit transfer all 
all the functionality you expect. But gold is money. That's, I think, what you have to start with as an understanding. And it's interesting when you have challenges within the financial market or challenges within relationships, international relationships. So geopolitics certainly factors into why people are interested in gold at different points. You see a gravitation towards gold and it takes on this character of being a safe haven. Really, it's just people moving out of risk assets into something they consider to be less risky. So that is a risk or safe haven asset. That's because it goes back to its old role as the more reliable denomination of money. And why gold over, say, silver? couple reasons. One, there's between 15 and 20 times the amount of silver on the earth. So when the world metallic money system, there was either a gold standard or a bimetal system, gold and silver, the silver standard tended to be easier to play games with and inflate. You could create inflation with silver too just like they're doing now with paper money, clearly with silver far less than you could with the current fiat paper money system. But gold was considered most stable as a basis for a monetary system. Silver, nice, but you always found that it was the agrarians who were arguing for it. Farmers wanted to see a little bit more inflation because they were okay if the price of their products was going higher. You know, bushel of corn, bushel of wheat. If it was a buck more this year than it was last year, that's good for us. And so slightly inflationary biased monetary system and silver was that it brought silver at least into the equation. Now, I like silver a lot. If you look at the two metals as an investor today, not just from a historical perspective, you can look at gold and divide gold by the current price of silver, and it gives you a ratio, the number of ounces of silver that it takes to equal one ounce of gold. So again, just take the spot price of gold, divide by the spot price of silver, and today you come up with between 85 and 90 ounces. On the high side, it's at 100. On the low side, it's at 15 or 20. And so anytime you're on the high side, silver's dirt cheap. And on the low side, silver's way too expensive and should be gotten rid of. You can swap it for gold. So to me, the case between the two metals, if you're looking for a growth asset, silver wins hands down. If you're looking at a store of value, then gold still is more reliable because silver has this aspect of needing to be used up in some sort of commercial enterprise. It is, yes, it's a precious metal, but it's also an industrial metal. Gold really doesn't have that industrial component. And so you can see ebbs and flows in the business cycle, and you can see ebbs and flows in the demand for the products that use silver in them. And that gives it an extra vulnerability, but it also gives it an extra source of demand. So it's a trade-off, if you will. And that's why ignore the price of silver, look at that ratio and allow the value equation that's pegged in that ratio to be your guide. What do I want as a growth asset if I want hard assets in my total portfolio mix? If growth is a priority for you within the hard asset space, then silver is a compelling value today. You could do the same math for platinum and gold, where today platinum sells at half the price of gold. Okay, So you do the ratio, gold divided by the price of platinum, and it ends up being point. That ratio is typically one and a half to two and a half. In other words, platinum typically sells at a premium, not a discount. So you look at that and you say, shouldn't I be owning platinum instead of gold? You could make that case as well. Again, it's got the industrial risks because platinum and palladium both get used a lot by the big three auto and catalytic converters. So if the economy goes off the rails, people aren't buying cars, you see what I'm saying? There's a complexity with the white metals that the yellow metal doesn't have. And so Chris, it comes back to what's your motivation? If it's asset preservation or just a reliable store of value as a cash substance, 
substitute, it's gold. If it's a yeah. speculation on price and growth, I think your silver metals are going to be a winner over the next few years. That's interesting. Now, I'd be curious to see what your opinion would be on the markets recently where you know, I just heard in the news that, uh, was it Perth Mint? Yeah, they'd actually been mixing similar metals, not sending out pure gold, mostly to China. So there's been that, it almost reminds me of 2002 with stocks, right? When they're cooking books and that's why stocks tanked in 2002. Do you think that might happen with gold and silver right now where people might say, I can't trust that these bars are solid gold or not? You know, what if these companies have been pu- pushing out stuff, trying to take advantage of the higher prices, but they're really just sending us something that's not pure. What's your opinion on it? With the Perth Mint, and to be clear, they're still sending out gold that is four nines fine. It's just as you get to those far off decimals that they've played a very small amount of a game. It's benefited them significantly, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, but they're still sending out a quality product that's full gold. This is not a tungsten okay. bar. This is nothing like that. So playing with a penny here or a fraction of a penny there, right, which is yeah. far less egregious than even our central bank is doing at the 2 or 3% inflation target on our current cash. Do I like what the Perth Mint did? No, I think it was a, it was an ethical breach. Are they going to pay for it? Yes, the Chinese will insist that they pay for it. Our counterparty is the Royal Canadian for the only conflict-free gold in the world. They're sourcing it from North America. So this is not Congolese or metals that have come from places where, yes, child labor is par for the course. We like the fact that the gold is coming from a great place, great jurisdiction, where employees are fairly treated, And in terms of the social and the governance aspects, things are being tended to. It's crown property. So you've got some reputational risk. If you do things wrong, this is the group that's been making British sovereigns going back to 1908, 1910, 1911, I think was the last time they made British sovereigns in Ottawa. And now they're making beautiful kilo bars. They make probably the best 100 ounce silver bars that my favorite bars, hands down, are the Royal Canadian Mint bars. So quality of product, the platform that we have just allows you to own gold very inexpensively and treat it like a cash position, easy in, easy out, low costs, and you're getting the economy of scale. Even if you're buying $5 worth, you don't have to buy an entire kilo bar. You could buy $10 worth of gold and you have your allocated segment of the bar, or you could own 10 of those bars. Really easy to use. They've been a great partner for Royal Canadian Men. That's going to be my next question about that is because, you know, a lot of times you buy a bullion, right? And you get the physical, tangible stuff and you try to store it. How is it different with what you have with Vaulted? Yeah. Still, I'd say the vast majority of our clients prefer to take physical delivery of gold or to utilize dollars in an IRA. So the IRAs, of course, allow you to, you were talking about that ratio earlier. 50 years, we've helped people play the ratio back and forth and be able to compound their ounces through time. So It's not just a buy once and see what happens to the price of the metals, but you can play that intramarket arbitrage between the metals. And if you're doing it under the tax deferred umbrella of an IRA, now you're getting to compound your ounces without having to pay Uncle Sam along the way, either with a Roth, you've already done it, or with a traditional, you'll settle up at the tail end. That's a very effective way of owning metals. We were one of the first companies back in 1986 to put metals into IRAs. Again, being able to innovate in this space, that's our reputation for 50 years. I think the appeal of the vaulted program is for somebody who says, I want to own gold and silver is going to be launched in June. I want to own these metals, but I want to do it cost effectively. I don't want the burden of storage. Please don't send it to me. I travel too much. What would I do with the product? On the other hand, they need to know that the metal is there. Whereas some of the ETFs is the exchange traded funds. You can buy and sell gold like you can a stock, but you can never take delivery of it. It's not allocated to you. So the differentiation between our product, you own a basket and inside that basket is a certain number of shares, which reflect a certain portion of ownership in bars. But even the language that I'm using, it's degrees of separation from you and the asset 
asset. What we like yeah. in the vaulted program is it's you and it's your gold. You want to take delivery of it? Send us the shipping instructions and we'll get it to you. Or you can yeah. keep it on that hassle-free basis and just use the technology to be able to buy or sell as you prefer. Amen. Yeah, I think that's a much better way of doing it. And like you said, there's the vaulted program where you can have that ownership, but you don't have to keep it on site. But then you right. said also, you could, if you, people have IRA money, they could actually have you help balance between gold and silver and help people move metals around to create growth in the IRA. Is that correct? That's right. I've even taken that to an extreme where I've started Roth IRAs for my kids and mm -hmm. they don't know this. Hopefully they're not looking online to see these interviews. That's a future conversation. Thinking of legacy and thinking about planning ahead and thinking about training your kids to think intergenerationally about money. My wife and I have always thought about the next generation, not just us. So for us, yeah. Roth IRAs for our kids made a lot of sense. And as business proprietors, we can do that very easily. So you own gold, you own silver. Sometimes you trade back and forth between them. That tax deferral is such a huge advantage. If you're interested in metals and you want to compound your wealth through time, what a great way to have hard assets in a portfolio. I think the old version of owning gold, if you go back 50 years, it was, well, isn't this for kind of the end of the world? A year worth of freeze-dried food and maybe an AR-15 and a couple of Krugerands and you're good to go. You can withstand the zombie apocalypse. That's just not the way I live life and it's not the way I see the world. I see every decision we make in terms of our finances as being in a time sequence. And we as stewards in this particular time sequence are managing resources and we're doing so with respect to the people who came before us and the blessings that we received and the people who will come after us and the blessings we extend to extend, we plan on extending through time. And so understanding how to do that with real estate, tricks of the trade, you need to know them. If you're going to have an allocation of real estate, then play it smart. If you're going to own stocks and bonds, know something about it and know how to play those markets. And that is not just buy and hold in a Vanguard fund and not mm -hmm. just hand everything over to a financial advisor and say, I hope for the best. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. There are times when you should be engaged in equities. Right now, I would say this is not the time. Why? Because even though they're cheaper this year than they were last year because of the market sell-off, one-third in NASDAQ, 19% for the S&P 500, just under 9% for the Dow, they're only partially discounted. We are now at valuation levels on par with the market peaks of 1929 or the year 2000. So we were so overblown. Now we've come back to what were previously the all-time highs in the year 2000, the all-time highs, 1929. Yep. Are they a value? No, they're not. So you have to be very careful how you're allocating money in equities. The larger point is, if you're stewarding wealth through generations, appreciate what each asset class you can put money into, appreciate how it behaves and where the advantages can be gained so that you can, again, steward from one generation to the next and hopefully leave what you have better off for the next generation. We're dealing with terminal math when you're dealing with multiple generations. You are multiplying the number of people who have a claim on a particular asset. That means it's being divided up and it's shrinking on a per capita basis. How do you engage with the multiplication of those resources such that future generations can be beneficiaries of that, such that they can learn and do the same thing. You're only responsible for this period of time. Will they be educated, learned? Will they receive the wisdom of you in your generation to be able to know how to handle resources in their generation? It's not about setting your kids up with an infinite amount of money so they have nothing to do with their lives except seek pleasure and leisure. That's not it. But if you have kids, if you have grandkids, you, you want to do well for them. You want to help them in any way you possibly can. You're not trying to hurt them. But one of the ways that you help them is not by giving them a 
bunch of money. It's by giving them the skill set. Again, if that's compounding revenue, again, to your point, the ripple effect and what you want to see in terms of current cash flow, or if it's compounding ounces within the metal space, it's about having skills. It's about having skills. It's about knowing what to do with what you have. If it's an ounce or if it's a million ounces, if it's one property or if it's a hundred properties, it's not what you have, it's what you do with it. And that to me is so much the part of legacy and being intentional about making sure that the conversations are had, the dinner table conversations. For me, that meant, yeah, at age six, I was having a conversation or giving my first speech on inflation. But being deliberate about the conversations you want to have so that your kids know how to do what you've done and have some gratitude, have some gratitude for it as well. Absolutely. That's a ripple effect I like. Quick question, because I know we got to get going here, but I just want to ask you with all the, the banking industry, which is having red alerts going off left and right right now, especially with anything from we got Silverstone we, or no Silvergate. We got we've also got uh, Silicon Valley Bank and things like yep. this happening in the market right now. What's your opinion? Because I know. Often when this kind of stuff happens, people will flee towards metals instead. Yeah. Are you seeing that to be the case or what are you seeing? Here's why fleeing to the metals does make sense. I'm saying this from an objective standpoint. And yes, sure. Give me the criticisms for having a vested interest in it. But here's what's happened. It's not just Silicon Valley Bank. It's not just Signature. If you go back and look at what the Federal Reserve and the Treasury did throughout the pandemic, they created a tremendous amount of liquidity. If you look at the deposits of your regional banks, of any prior to the pandemic versus after, you're looking at a 50 to 100% increase in bank deposits in that period of time. Liquidity is created, bank deposits swell. It's not like bank lending to small businesses went up by 50 to 100%. So what are they forced to do? They buy the safest paper they can. Unfortunately, it's at record low yields and it's treasury bills and its mortgage-backed securities. So this is not just a story about Silicon Valley Bank. This is a story about the entire banking industry because of choices that the Fed and the Treasury made to create the liquidity to save us from the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. But you see how it's connected. So which bank does not have excess deposits that they had to put to work and stuffed into treasury and mortgage-backed securities papers. To the degree that interest rates continue to rise, the value of those portfolios continues to drop. As of this weekend, it was a $700 billion mark-to-market loss. Total bank capital is roughly $2 trillion. So you're talking about basically one-third of all bank capital in the United States has disappeared. Now, we knew this last year. We knew this last year, but nobody panicked. Decided to pay attention last week. $43 billion came out of Silicon Valley Bank, and all of a sudden, they have to sell their portfolio, realize on a mark-to-market basis the loss on that securities portfolio, and they've got a hole to fill. In fact, they can't fill it. It's too big. They're insolvent. We have a variety of banks that are today technically insolvent. What the FDIC, really what the Federal Reserve and the Treasury has done has been to say, We'll guarantee all deposits. Doesn't matter if it's above or below 250,000, everything's covered, right? So what's your risk? Really, it's not much. To stay in the banking system, they've basically covered you by no problems whatsoever. Now, what's the cost of being able to backstop $700 billion in losses? This is just one other version of quantitative easing. So now we go back to what has been driving gold crazy over the last two decades, from $350 to $1,900, and what takes it from $1,900 to $5,000 is that we are trying to save the world from coming unglued. And every version of trying to save the world from coming unglued, whether we go back to the year 2000 and it's the tech wreck, or we go back to the global 
global financial crisis, or we fast forward to the pandemic. It's more and more money to try to keep things together and for, to, so that there's never a financial market comeuppance. We don't want to pay the piper. Yeah. And the Fed and the Treasury are guaranteeing that, that doesn't happen. Why that translates directly to gold is you're talking about inflation, not only being an issue of the last year or two, but it being the issue of this era. This is yeah. not going away anytime soon. This is not going away anytime soon. Inflation concerns will continue to build. We have frailties within the financial system. The powers that be want to paper over all of it. And there's a cost to doing that. It means that you're not going to have the 2 or 3% inflation hit to your savings. It'll be the 5 and 10%. And it may be 5 to 10% for the next decade. What would you rather own? Deposits in gold and silver or million bucks sitting in the bank getting clipped? Right. 5 and 10% a year. That's why I think gold makes a ton of sense now. And why it's not overthinking it to think, oh, maybe there's panic in the market. Maybe it's just one bank. No, every bank has had the same problem. I've talked to our local bankers here in Durango, Colorado. Same thing. We don't know what to do with all these deposits. We've got to stop taking mm -hmm. deposits. What are we going to do with it? Because their securities portfolios were already too large. And they were putting that money to work at an inopportune time. Now rates have risen. The value of those bonds are down. You've got so many banks that are technically insolvent. When you're dealing with liquidity and solvency issues, gold is one of the only assets that has zero counterparties. We saw this in the year 2008 and 2009. We had hedge funds calling us to buy $50, $100 million of gold at a time. Because they're like, I got to get out of the system. The system, I don't know if I actually get my money. Where is my money? Who's got my money? No, I don't think it's a panic move. I think it's a reasonable allocation. Um, we'd be happy to give you guidance on that. 50 years of experience, we've got a crew that's second to none in the industry. There's plenty of people out there who sell gold and silver widgets. Very few people who know how to handle it from a strategic standpoint and how to gain in terms of that compounding of ounces, starting with treating you very fairly. I was just talking with our marketing department. It's amazing because we have a lot of competitors who will spend millions of dollars a year in marketing. And that is coming out of the hides of their clients. Just not yeah. the way we operate. That's not the way we operate. If you hear somebody advertising on radio or television, guarantee you those ad dollars are coming out of the hides of their clients. Find somebody who's been doing this for 50 years, we'll take care of you. We grow by referral business only. I, even venues like this, if we can provide value in some way, our podcast, the very, we, that's now 16 years old, every week for 16, hopefully it's an educational resource that your listeners can tap into. Chris, thanks for having me. Absolutely, David. Yeah, we'll definitely be able to put this in the show notes for you guys, just so you can follow up with David. But uh, David, fascinating stuff. This is great timing. I know there's a lot of things unraveling right now, and it's good to be able to see that there's another safe haven somewhere that has better value, store value. So again, appreciate you being on, David, and everybody else. Definitely reach out to them. We'll have those links in the show notes for you guys to follow them, follow their podcast and that sort of thing. Everybody make it a wonderful and prosperous week, and we'll see you later. Visit us online at moneyripples.com for more resources to help you fix money leaks and get your money working harder for you now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.